Right. It's so true. So it, it's Cinco de Mayo weekend. Let's talk about this for a minute. We had a caller in on the show this weekend, you guys, who wanted to know about chimichangas. And you and I were both sort of like, what? Chimichangas? Hadn't thought about it in a long time. Since Chi-Chi's. Since Chi-Chi's. And I got, we got to thinking a little bit about what Mexican kind of food means to us and, and sort of in that etymology of how we've experienced it. I mean, I can say that Chi-Chi's was very much the first time I ever had Mexican food as a kid. Oh, yes. You know? And uh, my sister dated this kid, and his name was Pete. I probably shouldn't say his last name. And I believe his family was involved in uh, bringing Chi-Chi's here and that they were um, part of the family that had it. Right, because it did. It was it was owned and run by the family of uh, Michael... McDermott, I think it is. Yes. And it, is a, it was a Minnesota company. And in Richfield, do you remember you would, it was like a big night out, first of all, to go out as a family, because we had four kids. So mm-hmm. it was like a big deal to go out for dinner. And you'd wait in that, like, I remember just that the lobby of it was like burgundy colored carpet with this weird pe- black patterns on it. Yeah. Like real dark. And then the uh, stucco walls that you'd be leaning against, kind of yep. whitewashed. Like it was so, like a Puebla yes. sort of house. Yeah. So you'd wait there, and if you, because we were kids, but then they had the bar area too, mm-hmm. but that you would go and you would sit down and you would order the you, chimichanga. Yeah, and you'd get your chips and salsa for free. That was the beginning of that. That was a big deal. And then you'd have, like, your parents would have the, the giant bowl of Strawberry margaritas. And it would be like a fishbowl giant yeah, on a stem. There I mean, still are those. and But then there would also be, yeah, and you'd see the people walking with the sizzling fajitas and, you know, all these. And remember how novel that was, the yes. fajita sizzling on a platter? Yeah, but I waited the entire meal for one thing, which was fried ice cream. Yes. Remember that? With cornflake crust, and then they would fry the balls, and then put whipped cream and a cherry and sauce. And it sauce. was just the most bizarre idea. And of Cinnamon. Course, what the heck? So the funny thing is when you think about all of that stuff, right? And I remember just not really, I didn't like enchiladas. I didn't like, like I was like, I don't want all this weird stuff and sauce and blah, and I refried greens still sort of put me in a place you know i think that goes back to that but i remember eating like a taco salad in the big fried bowl tortilla bowl but the thing is is like so then you think about all of that right and then i go to my dinner last night at colita which is a mexican inspired restaurant it's oaxacan you know the chef is our uh, danny del prado went you know he's argentinian but he went to you know Mexico and he's and he really recognized a lot of flavors that he felt like were kind of concurrent with his, and he is making these Oaxacan dishes that are just stunners. I mean, so far from what we may have originally thought Mexican cuisine to be, like to say chimichanga and to know that I ate Mexican last night, those two things did not even relate in my brain at that moment. 
You know what else is weird about that, though? Because this winter, I spent two weeks in March in Ixtapa and Siwatanejo. Yeah. And... The house that we stay in comes with a woman who's she's cooked in this house for 20 years and she's about a 55 year old Mexican woman. Yeah. And so she's cooking us breakfast or lunch every day and she's making us like jello. Um, she she made a jello salad. Mm-hmm. She made a pudding uh, pie. She's using um, bouillon cubes to flavor mushroom soup because there's not dairy there. Like, you think about the cooking, and there's, like, the Danny Del Prado-type cooking, and then there's the, like, home cook, which would be, like, her cooking um, just super, like, making the fresh alfresca waters every day. And it's just really interesting. In some respects, she almost was kind of like a 1970s style of what she was thinking that American cooking would be. Well, that's what I was wondering is she's trying to cook for you, not necessarily cooking for herself. But And I wonder what the difference of that would be. Yeah, and I don't know exactly because I don't speak a ton of, of Spanish. Um, but it was always based in – it was always fresh. It was just the ingredients that she had on hand. Like chilaquile was always a big part of it because you're using up the stale chips, right? Yeah. Um, she was always making sauces in a blender with different chilies, um, a lot of reconstituting of beans, reconstituting of corn, reconstituting of um, meats. Did you guys eat out, though, at, at like restaurants and stuff when yeah, you were there? Yeah, we did. And, you know, most of it's fish-based because it's a fishing village. Zihuatanejo is a fishing village. So you're eating, you know, grilled fish with different sauces, really, capers, green olives, onions, green sauces, chilies. It's a very fresh um, presentation. Yeah. And but so everything with same. rice. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, that's what would be interesting to me is like that difference between someone who's cooking for Americans versus cooking for just the general public. I actually, And I mean, it is a tourist town. That's for sure, too. So there's different levels of that. I actually think she's cooking for us the same way she would cook for her Mexican family. You do? I do. Yep. Um, Why do you think that? Because I don't think that there's... I don't honestly I don't think she has the base of knowledge she's never been to the United States she lives in this town and has lived there her entire life yeah I guess I just don't know if you're if your job is to cook for tour people who've traveled in I but I, it's you, not her job to cook for the tourists her job is to cook for this family oh and they oh I thought this was like a rented place and then that she no. comes okay I misunderstood it's a family owned home oh, that okay. she's the chef for got the it. family got the it. cook she's also the housekeeper okay this is her home that she maintains I misunderstood I thought this was like a, a situation where you rented a place and no. then she just came with it got it, it. so she's okay. cooking I think very and that's what I thought was so interesting about what she cooked and it was all incredibly delicious and actually each of these there's like 20 of these houses in this little compound and they each have a a cook Mm -hmm. and the joke is is that Sonora was the name of the the woman who took care of our house that she's the best cook Oh, the staff on on site because we would bring them leftovers after the meal like leftover pie and they were always like oh is this Sonora's cooking like because they thought she was the best cook oh fun when we made uh she had this like gelatin that she they use gelatin a lot and she made like a graham cracker crust and made a strawberry gelatin pie hmm. that was straight out of like 
a 1970s cookbook that your mom would have. Yeah. Well, because it's stable. And yeah. if you think about it, it's like otherwise you're probably trying to use egg whites or something like that. And that is not necessarily, A, easy to get, B, to you know, easy to keep stable. Yep. So interesting. And the reconstituting of the cream of mushroom soup that she made twice. Yeah. You know, which was basically bouillon cubes, the mushrooms that she reconstituted because they were dried. Right. And then... um she used what did she use she didn't use cream she used just bouillon yeah well and i think this is the the bigger point of this too is that mexican cuisine is one of the most varied and intricate it's you a know, giant complex. country it's massive and it is the it, the we tend to think of when we say oh mexican and we go oh tacos yeah. burritos nachos that's what we think of and it's so far from that you know and you and then you get into the upper levels where you're like tostones and you know um papusas and and uh, and things like that arepa and, yeah arepas well that's and that's venezuelan necessarily but like you know those kind of oh they make uh sope Sopes, exactly. And all those kind of things. And you start to get into those upper levels and you start to think a little differently. But still, the idea that it's completely, you can't really kind of categorize it in a weird way. I mean, like you can, but I mean, at the same time, I think it's so interesting. Eater just did a really great uh, article. They just kind of talked about Mexican food and sort of did this really great package of roundups and things. One of the things that they did, one of their little like graphic articles I thought was great, was called Welcome to the United States of Mexican Food. And the idea that as this giant uh, Mexican, you know, cuisine has traveled north with the people who are traveling north, how it has changed and how there's the Mexican-American food is different, obviously. But it's and it's interesting because it's just as important as part of the cuisine. But it's funny that we don't really recognize it as Mexican-American necessarily. Like the big burritos. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's something that... That's called a mission style burrito, technically. And they're talking about how I got a loan onto it. But it was originally San Francisco was where kind of the mission burrito started. And that these are massive burritos. Um, it started in 1963 at El Faro in the Mission District. And that uh, they made these enormous burritos out of two flour tortillas to feed the hungry firefighters. Huh. And you know what I mean? And it's like. You got to think about how it became. It's Chipotle. I mean, like Chipotle is a direct derivative out of these burritos that were made for firefighters. And so it's the, interesting. I and if you think about just tortillas too, that was. I always thought, and the way I always learned about tortillas here in the United States was that it was masa flour, and the masa flour had the lime mixed in. Yeah, and you used um, lard, and you made your tortilla. What was awesome and really interesting to me was to watch uh, Sonora make tortillas from reconstituted corn yeah. and then grind it. Yeah. So she wasn't using masa flour at all and not using any lard, just reconstituting the corn and then patting them up and then frying them. Mm-hmm. And when I had the chance to talk to Ann Kim about the Mexican restaurant that she's working on, that's all based around the tortilla. She had that same experience of really seeing how they make tortillas in Mexico, it's a special kind of corn, and that she's trying to bring that whole craft of the tortilla back to the restaurant in the Twin Cities to see um, that will be a, a different 
treatment of it for her. Yeah. Just like she did with pizza in her reiteration for Pizzeria Lola, yeah. Young Joni, and Hello Pizza. Yeah. No, it's definitely. Do you need a PPC for your AC ASAP? Say that five times fast. That's a peak performance check for your air conditioner to make sure it's handling this summer heat. At Aquarius Home Services, we know your AC has been working really hard. It's been a hot summer with more hot days yet to come. For only $29, get a peak performance check and get the most from your AC this summer. Stay cool and worry-free with a $29 PPC on your AC. We're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. Like, consider the walking tacos that we all eat. You know, well, we talk about yeah. that, right? And we talk about that it's also kind of known as Frito Pie did in that, some places. Yeah, did that start somewhere specific? Well, okay, so it's, you know, and just to basically understand, it's a single-serving bag of Fritos or Doritos topped with chili, taco meat, cheese, and other things. It says uh, the origins are originally showing up in newspaper articles as a walking taco salad in the 80s. A simple meal called Chili Billies in Southern California somehow became an Iowa obsession to the point it served at high school cafeterias as a lunch item. I think they've missed the boat on understanding what that is. And what really that is, is that's people making a, like, that's a sporting event thing, you know, where that was like a thing that happens in the Midwest when you're out and you're kind of like, everybody's, we don't, we didn't have like taco trucks and we didn't have, you know, like in Southern California, you go to soccer games and there's like taco trucks and everything everywhere and all the fun little things. It took us a little while longer, but I, you know, in my mind, it's it's the it's the it's portability the of the food. Yes. Yeah, and it's the, and it's the boosters and the supportability of it. And they say Iowa, but I think it's kind of all over the Midwest. I think it all kind of happened at the same time. And it's basically taking your chili and taco makings and just, just dumping it in the bag. And, and kids love that. But think about that. That's a thing that has happened while we are here. You know, and like that has become part of Mexican American food. And that's the same thing as a burrito. And it's like so next generations, it'll be just part of their lexicon. It's interesting. I went to La Cucaracha recently in St. Paul, which has been in that family for, I think, uh, over 20 years. Yeah. And it just had the most delicious just soup. So many of the soups in Mexico, which you wouldn't think because it's a hot climate, but soup is really big in their tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, the menudos, the mm-hmm. chicken soups, the tortilla soups. They have a just fantastic chicken soup with kind of a chicken broth, lime, rice, cilantro, mm-hmm. Um, carrots at La Cucaracha. It was awesome. I, I mean, honestly, and, you know, as far as, like, learning about how, yeah, there's a great article in this mix about how I had to give up flour tortillas and I lost my culture, like you were talking about, how it's so that the tortilla-making thing that Anne is watching and that everyone and that you experienced is such a piece of, of kitchen culture for many, many yes. generations. And, and there isn't really cheese, like, in the way that you think of cheese. Yeah, American. queso fresco, which is not like the stringy, gobsmacked no. stuff that we're all used to. There's not really, like, mozzarella. It's farmer's cheese. Yeah. It's, it's pulled cheese. There's the cotilla cheese that's crumbled, and it's more like a drier, like a feta version almost. Yeah. And then there's a sour cream, um, but there isn't really, like all this proliferation of cheese that you see in American Mexican cooking no. either. No. And that's kind of, but I mean, that's, yeah, that's our, that's our excess, I think too. And, and our if, access to those kind of fresh cows and fresh milk and all that stuff. But, and the beans are different, you know, they like we eat here, pinto yeah. beans yeah. that are refried there. There's a much more variety of beans, different shapes and sizes, and they make the beans fresh every day. 
Um, they use them up obviously in the next day if they have left over, but they don't make like giant vats of beans and then just keep using them. And the beans are cooked from dry. Like mm-hmm. they're not using canned beans still. Yeah. At least, so, you know, Sonora wasn't in. And when we went to the markets, they're selling a lot of dried beans. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's very true. Um, there were another thing that I just, uh, like as far as Tex-Mex goes, you know, that's kind of one of those things of people don't really understand. I think what, like we don't have any Tex-Mex restaurants. If you think Not about really. it. Not really. Like Hatch Chili or New Mexican restaurants. Yeah. I mean, I don't even, I couldn't, I remember there was... What was there? There was there a uh, like maybe. I mean, Chili's, I guess, is supposed to try to be a national, you know, like a Tex-Mex. I guess that's the only thing I can think of when I think of it. We used but to have used to one, have, but I can't think of the name of there it. There used to be uh, like a Coyote one. Gr- Coyote Cafe. Coyote maybe. Cafe. Remember that? And ma- remember um, like Bobby Mesa's uh, Mesa Grill was kind of Tex-Mex. Bobby also, Flay's. Yes. Thank yes. you. And in Las Vegas, there was a, a Coyote Grill. There was a restaurant there, called Coyote Grill. We had a Coyote grill. grill here. Yeah. And there's a Red Coyote, I think, a Red. It was over in Uptown. Yeah. yeah. And Bar Abilene was kind of Tex-Mex. Bar Abilene was Tex-Mex. You are so correct. That was a try. And that's like, we don't even, that has sort of gone away as we've gone into like, I think, more authentic places. You know, like El Burrito Mercado is like, but that's family cooking, tex, you know, Texas. Right. And, or I mean, Mexican. And all of those kind of places that are trying to do a little bit maybe, you know, I mean, and then you think of like Popova, where we were last weekend at Centro, you know, and like that kind of cooking is also taking Mexican food in a different whole direction. It's so varied. It's so crazy. I want to recommend them, too, because I think like I I'm, I think the three course meal was 50 or 60 dollars. It was fantastic. Yeah. No, the cooking that's happening there will re refocus where your Mexican food, you know, barometers are. And Massa did that a little bit. You know, that was a D'Amico property. And do you remember Bar Abilene? Like, I remember that being the first place that you could get, like, a cucumber margarita. Like, yeah. the margaritas were not just the simple syrup and the uh, box of frozen strawberries thrown in a blender. Right. And that felt, like, so, like, whoa, like, very revolutionary. Yeah. Yeah. And I did love Massa. Yeah, Massa was great. They had great... They had some of the best, uh, like, sopes, and their yeah. margaritas are good. But I loved their, uh, uh, what was the soup that I always got there that I can't think of it? Just a lime soup. Yeah, no, that's it's gone. Pozole. It was the pozole. Oh, I, I bought some hominy. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out what to do with it, but la gra- A spring soup with hominy is great. El Rancho Gordo, I saw them on the, and yeah. I was thinking about... Like, oh, could I reconstitute this and make tortillas out of it? Which I think I probably could, but Mm -hmm. I'm not going to. So last night at uh, Colita, we had a, you know, a lovely piece of seared salmon, and it was a top of a ramp mole. Yum. And that's the thing is like. So what is a ramp mole? I don't know. Was it it green? It was green. And it was, it was beautiful over this, you know, little cubes of potatoes and little cubes of little bits of celery. And it was it was spectacular, but it was like that's the idea of like there can be a ramp mole instead of like us thinking that mole has to be this dark dusky chocolate thing. It's more like it wasn't a pesto because it was a sauce. But there was um, <clears throat> is mole just the idea of things ground with nuts? No, I don't think it's that narrow of a definition. I would have to look up to see what like you have to define it as. I mean, it's definitely. Um, Let's see if I can pull up a thing that says anything about it. It's a traditional sauce originally used in Mexican cuisine as well as uh, for dishes based on these sauces. Outside of Mexico, it refers specifically to mole poblano. Um, 
So I guess I know. The contemporary Mexico, the term is used for a number of sauces, some quite dissimilar, including black, red, Colorado, green, almentillo. I mean... So it's oh. just sauce. Yeah. It's generally a sauce contains fruit, a fruit, chili pepper, nut, and such spices as black pepper, cinnamon, and cumin. So it's huh. it's generally, it's supposed to be a fruit, chili, and a, a pepper, and a nut. Yeah. Cool. Interesting. This is the thing. There's so much to learn, and there's so many ways to go. And I, the more that we're interested in these kind of things, and the more that we sort of seek, you know understanding about it all the better it just the only better it can be what did you eat besides your salmon just because i want to know the other we gotta know well i always get the the cacio pepe tostito tell me about that which is just a cheesy lovely i mean it's like all the wrong things that we were just saying they don't have all the but it was just it's a gorgeously crisp cheesy beautiful wonderful like stack um but beyond that we had uh they have a lobster tostada i love the tostadas which is just a giant chip that's piled with stuff um, one of my favorites that I never think to get, like I would never, like until I get it and then I'm like, oh yeah, is the eggplant tostada. And they have, they, the way he cooks that eggplant so that it has a crispiness to it, but it's still beautifully garlicky and soft. And then they, they put a little fresh cheese on there with it. It is, it is like eggplant. Like I I never order eggplant because I'm usually disgusted by the way it is done. And that I would eat every single time. Aww. So beautiful. And then, you know, like agua chile, which is sort of a ceviche idea, but a little bit less acidic and a little bit more uh, oil, you know, so it's beautiful raw uh, tuna with so, I, I think we had swordfish, so good with like super crisp garlic. So they're chips almost, garlic chips. Yum. And all the fresh, bright flavors. Love to make that. a garlic chip and not burn it is really hard. It is hard. <laughs> it's a slow process. And if you burn it, it's ruined because it's I just bitter. I don't think bitter. so. See, this is my thing. I actually burn my garlic a lot on purpose. Like when I did the fish sauce pasta, I burned the garlic and the shallots because I like that duskiness. Okay. Yeah, and it goes well with the fish sauce. But you're right. There's some definite places where it doesn't work out. But... And it's just hard to yeah. cook it exactly yeah. right. You have to get In the one right second, thinness. you can just ruin it. Yeah, you have to be diligent and watch that. That's for sure. Yeah. The duskiness so, of burned garlic and we have a lot of We have a lot of Mexican stuff coming and a lot of, you know, like you said, Ann Kim's place is coming. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of places that I think have really sort of bitten on that feeling that there's room for refined and different kind of Mexican food, which is exciting. It was sort of a, after Masa closed, there wasn't really well, a Masa, lot of people doing that. No, and Masa was good, but also Masa had gotten kind of corporate and the Target people had sort of taken it over and it didn't really feel, I don't know, there wasn't a lot of movement. It kind of got stale mm-hmm. a little bit. Which, you know, which if a fair. restaurant can make it 10 years, wow, right. that's right. about the lifespan. Right. Um, but I'm excited to see what comes next. I'm excited to see what Anne brings. Uh, letting you know that the Travail guys have announced the last uh, installment of their uh, pop-up residency in Minneapolis is going to be Mexican. And they have Gustavo Romero, who is a, a, a cook around town. He's going to be coming in and cooking um, kind of challenging and fun, interesting Mexican dishes. And with them, you got to think there's going to be fun things like a chimichanga. And then they're going to have like a some ramp mole or something. Are they still going to be in the Araiga space? Yeah, it's okay. all in the space. So at the end of, I think... I think at the end of May or, yeah, at the end of May, we switch off of Origa, the homage, and it'll switch over to the Mexican thing. Okay, we might have to go eat there. Yeah, I think for sure. Yeah, because that homage dinner that I went to was just spectacular. Yep. I would do that in a, another well, millisecond. Well, those guys are spectacular. That's yeah, the thing. Is it like was they such a good experience. Creative, fun humans. So there it is. All right. All right. Well, ole. Ole. Ole.
This is a summer to stay connected locally. From the pandemic to protests to the upcoming election, there is so much information to take in. And on PodMN, you can access hundreds of Minnesota-made podcasts on one app. Current events, health information, political talk. Plus, you'll find podcasts about sports, true crime, and more. PodMN also comes with listener rewards. In July, you can win gift cards to local restaurants, shops, and more just for listening. Download PodMN on your phone's app store or learn more by visiting PodMN.com. Minnesota podcasts live here.